All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Gunderson. Let's see. Megan, I didn't get your exact title, but I'm just going to say you're a microbiologist at Gunderson. How does that sound? Close enough. That's my background, but That's I'm an infection preventionist. Oh, okay. Infection preventionist? Is that, did I do that right? You did um, do that right. It kind of flows. Infection preventionist. Megan Miller. I know. I, I know it's fun to say. Um, next time I'll do it like, a, like I'm announcing you for uh, a wrestling event <laughs> or something. Um, all right, so let's get down to business. I have a whole slew of questions, but we can just do this quick. You know, uh, what do you think the most important thing somebody needs to know right now going into lacrosse or Wisconsin, closing the bars? And I believe Minnesota did this yesterday, closing essentially bars at 5 p.m. and telling people to stay home and, uh, and all that jazz. What, what do you think? I, th- I think it's brilliant. You know, it comes down to what we're learning about this virus and how you know, while those with weaker immune systems do tend to, like, get really sick, it's those that are also healthy that get sick. And so what we call it in kind of public health is flattening the curve. If we can cause, if we can lower the amount of people that get sick in a short period of time, the more better off our our healthcare systems are to take care of essentially anyone who comes through our doors. But if it's a lot of people at one time, it's kind of like what we saw happen at the grocery stores this weekend when you, you know, cram in the grocery stores it becomes overwhelmed and you can't get what you want and you have to wait a long time yeah and then that's what and, happen to, and you don't even get toilet paper so absolutely or chicken. well that's what could ha- that's what theoretically could happen to our healthcare system if we don't social distance yeah we're not gonna we, we might run out of medicines for certain people or i guess ventilators i'm reading about that a lot and, and then just right. just certain maybe we run out of tests i don't know do you guys have an unlimited supply of tests or is there only so many you know, I, I think it's fair to say that no one has an unlimited supply. You know, there is a finite supply. Okay. And so, you know, it's a matter of, you know, who do we test? You know, we really want to make sure we're capturing that population that is most at risk for developing a severe illness from this. All right. So you guys, did you roll out, like, drive-through testing today or in the last couple of days? So, yeah, we rolled it out yesterday afternoon. So it went live at 2, went until 4.30, and today was our first full day. So we're kind of, we're going to be a Monday through Friday operation for the next foreseeable future. Okay, so uh, drive-through testing, um, explain why, how people would get to the point where they need to go and get tested. You know, what what are the prerequisites, I guess? So what we're asking a patient is to call ahead. So this would be, if you have symptoms that are compatible with, COVID, so this is fever, shortness of breath, a dry cough, and let's say you have diabetes, heart disease, lung disease, um, or you're, you know, being treated for cancer, you know, whatever. If you kind of meet those conditions and you also know that you've been exposed to COVID or been to a kind of region region of travel, it's really important to call your healthcare provider or to call our telephone nurse advisor line because that's going to get you connected to our drive-up clinic. So they're, you know, they'll ask you a couple questions, and then they'll kind of set you up with your, with our, what I call COVID nurse line. And it's those nurse, group of nurses that will then say, yes, you meet the criteria. This is how you get to our drive-up testing location. Okay. Is it pretty hard to get to the point where you need to get tested? Because I was reading about, you know, early on, uh, some people figured they had it. They, they didn't get a fl- they, they didn't pass a flu test. You know, they didn't have the flu. And then they just, they couldn't get to the, to a point where they would be allowed to be tested. So, you know, in this instance, I would say, you know, be patient with the system. You know, a lot of what we created was created within a matter of, you know, 24 to 48 hours. 
And so we're still in the process of figuring out workflows. And I think now that there is a sense of awareness within not only our community, but, you know, across the whole country, uh, the risk this poses, we're seeing kind of a surge of phone calls coming into the organization. And so I think that's where, you know, some people are getting frustrated by the wait times. And so that's, again, where I would just encourage, you know, patients, you know, patients with the system. And, you know, if, you, if you're not getting through to a TNA, but you still want to, or a nurse advisor, but you still want to talk to someone, your healthcare provider, your primary healthcare provider is going to be that best person to talk to in order to get, you know, consultation for testing. Um, we talked about flattening the curve, and maybe people don't understand. Uh, it's just a just a graph, right? And you don't you don't want people to flood the hospitals right away. We don't want the 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 virus to spread too quickly. That's that's the point of social right. distancing, right? And this this idea of of closing everything down and and staying home and trying to work from home, right? Right. So again, you know, the best analogy is like, what what if you know if we spaced out our visits to the grocery store over a couple of days, you know, everyone would be able to get the supplies because you'd be able to restock the shelves. So, you know, everyone would be able to get what they need versus having everyone flood, you know, stores at one point in time. You know, you know, shelves are empty. You don't have time to restock. That's, yeah, that's the best analogy I can use. So it's like if we were to spread that out, you know, we all be, would have more supplies. If we can spread that out to our healthcare system, you know, the much better off we all are going to be as a community. Is it a little strange that La Crosse County hasn't had a confirmed case yet? I'm going to consider us very fortunate at this time. You know, I'm hoping, you know, that, you know, we're seeing more cases pop up on the east side of the state, you know, so the, the more populated, so the Milwaukee area, Madison, and kind of up along the Interstate 41 corridor. So, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic but i do think it's just a matter of time yeah it's it's definitely it's going to get here and then it's, it's a matter of whether or not we do the things that that are going to help slow this down right because we're not going to prevent it we just need to slow it down absolutely so it's it's, it's coming it's just a matter of how big is it going to be and what i've i've been hearing coming out of italy was they're like heat our you know learn from us like learn from our mistakes like we didn't social distance you know we continue to do all of this despite the warning and now we're paying a significant price for this and so i think the actions we're taking now will hopefully prevent you know something that big happening within our community i've read that the uk is telling Older, vulnerable people, older and vulnerable and older, vulnerable people to stay home. They need to really just stay home and not go out. And the rest of society can kind of live their lives semi-normally and do what they do because they're going to contract the virus, but they're not necessarily going to get so sick that they would need to be hospitalized. Is that is that completely, that's a little baffling to me, but is that is that a way to go or is that just, is that wrong? It's a little baffling to me, too, because what I'm hearing coming out of the studies from China and elsewhere are that the, even though the younger aren't getting as sick, they tend to be very infectious, so they can infect a lot of people. And, and, and in some cases, they're not even showing symptoms, and they can still infect people. And so this is where, like, if you think you're fine, but you go to visit grandma in isolation, you just exposed her without even realizing it. And so that's another purpose of social distancing is, saying, you know, I love you, and because I love you, I'm going to keep my distance from you because I don't want to get you sick even if I have it. Yeah, that's... So uh, having that... Yeah, I, I, uh, I kind of want to go home this week. I haven't been home in a while, and I've, I want to show... I got a new car. I want to show off my new car to my parents. And then I'm like, I really shouldn't do that because, A, they live on the east side of the state, and they probably have it, but... 
but B, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm younger. My parents are in their seventies. So yeah, probably, probably shouldn't do that. Right. Right. You know, and I have friends who say, you know, I, oh, I love to come and visit you to help you relieve, you know, you know, just so we can chill next week. And I'm like, I would normally say yes, but please at this point, just stay away. Like, you know, we have, you know, social media, we have cell phones, like we can communicate and stay in touch that way. But you know, I think for the time being, until we kind of, until this comes and we see it kind of going away, you know, then, you know, for the time being, I just want to, you know, kind of keep my distance from my loved ones. Um, it's getting to be allergy season. People suffer from allergies. Um, how are they going to be able to, and, and COVID-19 has like allergy symptoms as well, right? Are the, is there a way to determine, oh, these are allergies. Oh, maybe I, I, I might have this. Yeah. And so that was also the trick. That's the tricky thing with COVID is that some of the symptoms also mirror the flu. And so right now, it's, we're kind of seeing that about 90% of people who have COVID illness have a fever. And those of us who have allergies, you know, myself included, we don't get a fever. You know, we're going to get congested. You know, our eyes are going to get scratchy. And those aren't things that you would see typically with, that you're not going to really see at all with COVID. Some people, like a very small portion, I think like 3%, report congestion. You know, if you have allergies, you kind of know the timing. Like I know right now, okay, my allergies are going to kind of start kicking in. And so I think those are, it's going to be a little bit easier to discern allergies from COVID. What's going to be harder is if you have the flu, you know, kind of compare, you know, differentiate the flu from COVID. Um, a, a lot of times people, anytime we want to make the argument that this is serious, this, this is a pandemic, a global pandemic at this point, and uh, everyone needs to do what, essentially what we're told, do what you're told, stay home, you're grounded, essentially. Um, a lot of times the argument is, oh, the flu is much worse. It's killed so many more people. Can you explain why the flu and, and COVID-19 are, are two different things and we need to take this serious? Yeah. So, you know, to talk about flu, it's one of those, it's so many people in the U.S. get infected with it every year because it's already kind of it's prevalent. It's a year. It's not going away. And so we're seeing a lot of deaths because of that, because it's just the high volume of people who get infected, you know, at the, you know, at the time being, COVID, like, it's here, but it's not causing the same number of illnesses. And so what scientists kind of look at, they call it, like, a case fatality rate. So it's the number of confirmed illnesses and the number of confirmed deaths. So you could divide the number of deaths by the number of confirmed illnesses, and you get, like, a percentage. And when you do that for the flu, you get a percentage for, like, the elderly, which are, you know, the high risk of dying from the flu of about, i say, between 0.5 and 1%, so pretty low. When you do the same thing for COVID, you get we're getting around three, three and a half percent. So that's significant when you start looking at a population at a whole. So if, if you know three percent of a hundred is three people dying, you know, and you keep multiplying that, you you rack up a lot more deaths from COVID than you would from the flu. Um, how do you tell? I, I don't know. Do you see a lot of fake information on this? And and is there a way to tell real from fake? And I don't know. Do you got any strategies there? You know, I, I think it's also due to the, the fact that there's so much information that's being circulated out there about, about it and people don't know what to believe. And so my best recommendation is to always refer back to what the CDC is saying. They have some really great FAQ, frequently asked questions and answers, especially for travel and different health populations. And also the World Health Organization is also a really great resource. And so I would say, you know, use your other outlets, but when in doubt, check back with those two sites and you're going to kind of get your your answer will be confirmed or, you know, proven elsewise on those, on those sites. 
So my like my Facebook friend who I've never actually met that posted something. It looks like he wrote it out, but he started it with a Stanford scientist said, and it, and then it, all the information looks pretty legit. You're saying not to believe that guy? <laughs> no, no. I'm like I'm definitely uh, like there's you know there's the resources I you know information that's coming out of top universities you know universities in general. No, those, I, those I'm, I'm like, this is literally a yeah. viral this is literally a viral post that I've looked no. up. It's something about Stanford, and then it's got all these things, and I'm like, oh, that's that's just it's something like hold your breath for ten seconds, and if you can do that, you're oh, fine. And yeah, and it, no, but it's written out. It, there's no link, too. and there's yeah. no there's no actual. You know, there, there's no way to, to double check this unless you grab some of the, that information and, and Google it yourself. But I see that quite a bit. I've seen like two or three posts where they're, you know, oh, Stanford's OK, that sounds good. But it's all written out. So I don't know. It's just really annoying how much how much fake uh, social media posts are out there on this thing. It is, you know, and it's kind of unfortunate, you know, with the day and age that we live in. But, you know, I'm also encouraged by how our, you know, our media has kind of come around, you know, you know, you know, come out in droves to help us get the right messages out there. You know, so that's where, again, fever is going to be your primary symptom that we're seeing, um, followed by a cough. Not everyone's going to develop shortness of breath, but if you have a fever and a cough, you know, you, and a dry cough, you know, that could be a pretty good indication you have COVID, you know. And then, you know, again, some people might just have a sore throat. Others might have a little bit of congestion. It's going, you know, it's. It's hard. Respiratory illnesses are very hard not only to detect, but to contain. And that's what we're seeing right now on a global level. Um, I don't go to the hospital all that much. I haven't been to the doctor for a while. If, if somebody just needs to go to the doctor, just in general, like, can, can, can I just walk into the hospital right now? Or do you, do you screen people before they even come into the building? So we are starting to do some screening for, you know, for the symptoms because we want to make sure that our healthcare staff are protected. In cases, you know, in times like this, your healthcare workers are your frontline staff. You know, they're the most vulnerable. And so, you know, we're working really hard behind the scenes to make sure that our staff have the appropriate protection to wear when caring for patients. But that we also have kind of, I want to say, stops kind of set up, you know, you know, question and answer moments. And, you know, patients, you know, are going to anticipate being asked certain questions and kind of receiving some frontline screening. We also encourage anyone who's going to come into our clinic or hospital who has respiratory symptoms, you know, even if they just, they're pretty sure it's just a common cold, to still put on a droplet mask because that's going to keep anyone around them from getting sick. Okay. And then just very basic, how do I catch the coronavirus (laughs) or the coronavirus COVID-19, I should say? So, you know, we know kind of two main ways. So it's from sneezing. So if you sneeze and cough and you don't cover your cough, those droplets are going to hang out and anyone within a, a, you know, a good six-foot radius of you is going to inhale that. And that's how they get infected. So that's why we really encourage everyone, you know, if you're going to sneeze or cough, cover your sneeze, cover your cough, and then wash your hands afterwards. Okay. So then another way you can get it is if those droplets land on a surface, you know, we're still trying to figure out how long you know, a virus lives on surfaces. And it could be anywhere from like a day to 20, you know, or like an hour to 24 hours to even longer. We don't know yet. And so another way you can get sick is if you, you know, you're touching, let's say, a grocery cart that someone sneezed on before you, but you don't realize it. And then you, after touching that grocery cart, you then rub your eyes. That's another easy way to get exposed. And so that's where hand washing becomes really important. So like anytime, you know, you're about to eat or if you need to put your contacts in or, you know, whatever, please wash your hands before you do that because the soap and water 
is a, is a really good way to get the virus off your hands and then, you know, really help reduce your odds of getting sick. Yeah, I just carry a bucket of soap and water with me at all times. I don't know if you do or not. I've never, I don't, but I, you know, I'm not a germaphobe. I never was before this, and I've never washed my hands more in my life. My, my friend lives in Seattle, and her daughter needs, uh, I think, needs surgery or, or physical therapy or something, and they've actually postponed that. They've said, no, we're going to, and I don't know if they, I can't remember if she said they were postponing it. Actually, I got it right here. Need treatments uh, put on hold till th- till May till through May first. That's what they're doing in Seattle. Obviously, it's a pan uh, you know worse over there. Um, are you guys mm-hmm. doing stuff like that at this point, where you're you know like postponing stuff that that's pretty basic that can probably just not be, have to be done for uh, you know weeks or months out. So at the moment, we're just kind of looking at what our options are, and we're going to go from there. So we know we haven't decided anything yet, but. We're going to, you know, we're basing our actions on what the recommendations are from the CDC and other supporting organizations. Would it be smart for these people to just, you know, uh, I I have an appointment at Gunderson next week, Wednesday for for something pretty basic. Maybe I should just reschedule it or or should they just go on through with the schedule? I would I would encourage patients to continue to go on with the schedule unless otherwise notified. Okay, And um, you mentioned uh, catching the virus, sneezing, you know, touching each other. So when I'm playing basketball and super sweaty and then I like box out another guy uh, who's also super, that's probably a good way to catch the virus, huh? Potentially, but again, it's not going to be spread through sweat. It's just really going to be spread through those, um, I would say, you know, nasal secretions or, you know, saliva. And so, you know. Oh, we're spitting on each other too all the time, yeah. That's interesting though. So like it, it wouldn't be, you know, obviously we're, we're in close contact. We're playing basketball. We're, we're pretty face to face at times breathing on each other. I don't know. Just basic mm-hmm. breathing would do it. But, uh, but that's interesting. Like, you know, the bodily sweat wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, you know, all right, good to know. But uh, you're still saying yep. probably don't play basketball. Huh? Or, you know, I guess as you can, keep, you know, keep a little bit of distance, which is probably, it's going to be a lot harder in basketball, but I'm not, I don't play, I don't really play basketball. <laughs> You're not, okay, that makes so. sense. Not your area of expertise. Um, all right. Not I asked you a bunch of questions, but I don't, did I, did I miss anything that maybe people need to know that I just didn't ask you? You know, I, I think some of the, you know, with social distancing, people ask, well, how long is this going to be? Oh yeah. And, you know, I can only say at this moment indefinitely, but. The sooner we act and the more proactive we are, the faster this will be over. You know, public health is one of those things where if you act aggressively and then in the end people are going to be like, well, that was an overreaction. That means we did that we did our job, you know, that we stopped it from becoming a big deal. Whereas if we you know we're a little bit more complacent, you know, and it became a big deal, then people are going to wonder, you know, what went wrong. And so, you know, I just encourage everyone to be patient with the mandates that are coming down and, you know, to realize it's being done so that way we can hopefully, you know, resume to our normal activities sooner rather than later. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Megan. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Megan Meller, Gunderson, microbiologist, but infectious disease expert. How about that? I know she's a, her, her area of a study was microbiology, but... uh appreciate her having her coming on we're super late for news but i wanted to get all those questions in 